up, you guys? Welcome back to another episode of PSA. I'm your host, Molly Lee. As always, I'm so excited and honored that you would join me for another week of just rambling about my everyday life, living with my parents, live, laugh, loving here in Albany, Texas. So I've got a lot of things on the agenda today. First of all, I'm just going to catch you up on this past week. We had a lot of really weird things happen, not only in my family, but in our town. Um, There was some flooding and other things, so I'll get into that. I am also going to do a part two on the counseling talk that I did last week. This one will be a little lighter and a little more fun. Still some serious topics, but last week, if you didn't listen to the episode, I basically just went into a big pitch about counseling, my experience with counseling. I, I just had a lot of people recently message me about it, so I wanted to talk about it. And I had two other people message me this past week and ask if I would share some of the lessons that my counselor has taught me since I had talked about it a lot and how I love getting to share those with other people to help them as well. So I made a list of probably like four of the most helpful things that I've actually learned in counseling. And as much as there could be, you know, the big life lessons and overarching themes that I take away from this experience over time, these are going to be the practicals, the everyday things that she has either said to me that helped me in that moment, or there's one that was like an exercise or a tool that I use when I'm just really overwhelmed since I'm a visual learner. And so I'm going to share those with you guys. And at the very end, I am going to cover the Mare of Easttown finale and just that series in general. I had a lot of friends that didn't watch, which is horribly upsetting to me. I guess they have terrible taste. Um, So I was only able to text with like two or three of my friends. And that's not enough for me because I'm a monster and I've got to get 14 people's opinion. I've got to talk to them about their theories. So thankfully, I DM'd with a ton of people that were watching the show and we all like shared about our theories when the show was going on and things like that, which was great. But I just I just got to process it with my friends. So I'm trying to convince them to watch it. I am going to recap it at the end. I'm going to save it for the end. So if you don't want a spoiler, I'll tell you when I'm talking about it and tune out because I'm not holding anything back. We're talking the dirt. We're talking the drama. We're talking about my feelings on it. It's going to be everything. Life's too short to hold back. (laughs) So I'm not going to wait for those people that are like, you can't talk about it for at least two months. No, you had time to watch it. You should have watched it when it was on TV or when it was going on. So I'm going to talk about it because I can't. (laughs) I'm feeling a little defiant today. I've been feisty. I have been feisty. We're just going to jump into the episode uh, for this first part about this past week because, you know, here's the thing. (laughs) You know, it's always going to be this beautiful little, you know, knowledge drop when I start with here's the thing. Um, I never want to sound ungrateful about living with my parents, the fact that they took me in, that they wanted me home, um, that we, I genuinely am like friends with my parents. We get along so well. I love them. We've been having the best time. And I've honestly been super freaking happy at home. Also, a little update. I've just been so happy surrounded by family and friends every day. But we all know that you can still be happy and also miserable at the same time. (laughs) And, you know, I expected this really wonderful type, like honeymoon type of phase with my parents to at least last a month. Um, it's over it's over. We've, we've fought a lot. Uh, there have been, there have been some moments of tension, <laughs> if you can believe it. So thankfully I've had a lot of people message me about living with their parents when they like were like 
they had lived on their own for a while, moved back in with their parents for a spell and just talking about the difficulties of that. And it's made me feel a lot better to hear other people's horror stories, which I know is bad. I shouldn't be that person that wants to hear like the worst of it so I can feel better about my situation, but I do every time. It's like I want to know that I'm not in the worst of it or if I am in the worst of it, I need to feel justified that my situation was worse than everyone else's, which is a monstrous way to live and think. And I will be writing this down to talk to my counselor next month about it. But yeah, it's just, it's over. We fought a lot. There've just been some tension, mainly because, um, I know I've talked about this renovation a lot. If you haven't heard or haven't listened, we, we're basically renovating this mother-in-law suite at my parents' house. So it's this detached room at the house. We're renovating it completely to be this apartment. I was going to live in there. It was supposed to be done before I even moved home. Now we've been waiting on the plumber It was backed up already because of just our small town, then with COVID, then you think about uh, the snow apocalypse that happened in Texas in February, remember that? All the pipes bursting, that set us back, and now with the flooding that happened this week in town, I can only imagine. And so, I, of course, I want these people who are in desperate situations, like, thankfully, we're so grateful and, like, that none of the pipes burst at my house through any of these things. But at the same time, it is frustrating and it's okay to be frustrated. Your situation doesn't have to be worse than someone else's or better than someone else's to be frustrated. It's fine. So it is just a little frustrating that we've been waiting such a long time on this and it feels like there's all of these things now that just keep getting stacked on top or pushed in front of us. So I have no idea. Right now, the apartment's at a standstill because we have to get the plumbing done before the contractors can come back. So the room is currently completely gutted, new electrical, like everything's ready for the plumber. And we can't move forward until that happens (laughs) so that we can put all of the... um, you know, drywall up, new floors and that type of stuff, but it's okay. It's all going to get done. It is just hard uh, living in the house with them because that was not my expectation. So now it's a whole thing about battling this mindset and expectation that I had when I moved home, Um, you know, thinking that I'd be moving directly into that room and all would be well. I wouldn't have to like be around them all the time. And so now I'm just starting to have kind of a little bit of an imposter syndrome where I'm starting to realize more and more like this isn't my house. I know it's my childhood home, but honestly, ever since the moment that I moved to college and I went to Lubbock when I was 18, when I would come home, it wasn't my house anymore. It was my parents' house. And that wasn't even necessarily that my parents did that, but I think I just felt that dynamic. And so it was easier for me to think that way. So I wouldn't come home and be a little brat. You know, it was like I'm a guest in someone's home. And so you you just know the feeling. It's like the longer you're a guest somewhere, the more you ache to be home. So I've kind of felt a little like nomadic lately, which has been strange. I didn't even know that I was going to talk about this. So I think I'm just processing out loud right now, which is always really good. Um, but yeah, we, we had some points of tension this past weekend because it just felt like my mom and I were off. Like we're always on the same wavelength. We truly are. And whenever we're off, we both just get really frustrated because usually you know, it's us against the world with the rest of my family and we're the ones that are like, you know, venting to each other and gossiping about the rest of the family and how much they've let us down or how great they're doing, that type of thing. Um, that sounded horrible, but it's true. Like, let's just be real. We we all know that within our families, we have our little tight knit, you know, you've got the group messages excluding some people. Don't act like you don't. We're not horrible people. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a whole thing. 
So it just felt like we were off because on this one day that I wanted to rest and do nothing, of course, she's in like the spring cleaning, super chipper mood about getting things done and, and painting this room and building all this new furniture. Um, and so I automatically was already annoyed at that. And I know that that was a me issue and not a her issue. But I was projecting that day. I'm just going to own it. I was projecting. And I made it a her issue because I was mad at her. And so I was being the worst. It was fine. We've dealt with it now. But it was just a whole thing. And my mom and I also process things in the same way that once we make up our mind about something, no one is going to, like, deter us from doing that thing. No matter how many people tell us to wait for help or to do something else, we're prideful people. We are independent women and we're just going to get it done. Uh, but we are also very clumsy people. Um, we are we are the type of people that live very unfortunate lives in the sense that, like, on almost every trip I've ever gone on, I've gotten deathly ill right before I left or had kidney stones or something like that. So I just had this weird feeling when my mom told me that she was going to go in the backyard and <laughs> try to accomplish a task by herself. So I'm already feeling guilty that I was angry because I was starting to, you know... I stopped hulking out. I was going back into Bruce Banner and you just start realizing what you've done in your moments of anger and you're like, oh, I feel terrible. But also the pride was still there a little bit. So I was leaving the house to go work out with my friend and I literally stopped in the driveway to say like, I just have a bad feeling about my mom, about her doing this thing alone and I think I should go help her. But what did I do? Zidididi boop pop. I just be backed out of the driveway and <laughs> went on with my friend. Didn't come home till two hours later. My phone was on do not disturb because I have boundaries and standards and I love myself. So I keep my phone on do not disturb. And I got home and my mother's like cooped up in bed. And I was like, Marf, why are you being so dramatic? I'm sorry I was mean to you. Like, okay, arrogant me thinking, oh, my mom is just distraught over our fight. She's just sick to her stomach that we fought that she had to get in bed. And she was like, Molly, I stepped on a nail. And it went <laughs> like an inch and a half into my foot. And you know when it happened? I was wailing and I just saw your car driving away. <laughs> so, it's not funny. It's not funny what happened to her. But it's just that I literally sat there and I was like, I just have a weird feeling. I, I literally, she could see my car stopped. It happens. And then she sees me zip off anyways. Um, so I, I felt terrible, but it was also kind of that moment where I, I realized the situation and what it meant for me. And I was like, oh, darn it. I am going to have to wait on my mom, like hand and foot this weekend and this week now. And I, and I don't want her to walk on it, but my dad's going to be working every day. I'm obviously working from the house. So when she's here, that means that it's my job. It's my job to take care of my mother. And, you know, there's a reason why I don't have children yet, because I had to drive my mom to work today, and we left the house at, like, 8 a.m., everything, fine, you know, whatever. She's blaring disco music the whole drive to Abilene, which is 30 minutes, and I was just not there. Like, I'm the type of person in the morning where when I get in my car, I mean, I'm just, some, sometimes I drive to work with no music, like a maniac, because I just don't, I can't do it in the morning. I'm not a morning person. That's not a secret. I'm not a morning person. I can't do it. But she's blaring disco music. She's dancing. She's getting her day started. She's giggling. She's singing every word to jam on it and is like trying to get me to sing too. And I was miserable. I was like, are you kidding me right now? 
So I drop her off at work. I try to go do my thing, get some work done at a coffee shop. And she called me. As soon as I got in a groove, of course, she called me to come pick her up and take her somewhere. And that's when I realized, like, this, I'm not built to be a mom right now because I'm so selfish. So I know there are so many of my friends my age that have kids and I'm so, like, happy for you and I love that. But I don't know how you moms do it because 24 hours with my mother of taking care of her every need and of driving her to this place. And as soon as I got in a groove, like having to drop everything to go get her, I literally drove home in silence as well. I drove her to work in silence and I drove home in silence because I was just, there was a lot to process and think about. So on top of that, um, our, our town was flooding this weekend, classic, which also meant we were all in the house together. Um, so as you can imagine, just, you know, things weren't good. (laughs) We were all a little on edge and we drove around to like check the water levels at the rivers and the the creeks and things like that. Cause that's what you do when you live out in the country. And I realized more and more that my parents are absolute children because their whole goal for the day was to find people who were walking on the sidewalk to splash them. That was their goal. So they finally spotted a couple, but they were too far up. So what we were going to do is we were going to drive, make the block and come back. But my dad got distracted. So then when we were coming back at that point, the water had like flooded a section of the road. It wasn't flooded before. We're not those people. Turn around, don't drown. We believe in that. Like we're not those people that are just going to go driving through all the stuff to do it. But it had started coming across the road at that point. So the police officers were down there to like direct people another way or just to watch everything And because of that, we missed them. Like, we didn't get to have them in the splash zone. And I'm sitting in the back watching my parents act like children. And especially after, you know, having to take care of my mom and do all this stuff, I was like, I'm literally a caretaker for my parents in their 50s. Like, that's what I moved home to do in their eyes. So, you know, I'm, yes, I do the cooking. Yes, I do the cleaning. In the words of our queen, Nicki Minaj, that's my life right now. So, that's my rant. I don't even know why I told you all that. I guess I just needed to get it off my chest because I can't really tell my sister about it because she doesn't care. Um, my brother, no, he doesn't care about this at all. So I just, um, you're the only other people that I talk to. Because <laughs> I've already told my best friends this and they, they were like, oh, sorry. Anyways, so yeah, my parents were children. My mom, I, I hope that you guys saw the video on my story of my mom. Maybe I'll try to drop the audio here. But there was this big section of flooding that happened by the donut shop. And my mom's commentary on this video was all time. The donut shop's gonna flood. The donuts. Damn, we got raging rapids. Shit. Yeah. Can you not let it's a raging rapid over there. <laughs> I mean, absolutely freaking hilarious. It killed me to hear her, like, be so concerned that we were not going to have donuts. <laughs> and then also to talk about the roaring rapids, the rapids in town. And she said at one point, we need to go get our inner tubes. And I was like, mom, this is, there's destruction happening. And we're the type of people, um, like, the whole town was out and about watching the water. We went up to, like, the creek or the river that flows through town. Everyone was there. My dad even said at one point, Martha, should we go get our lawn chairs? 
And me and my mom were like, no, we're not going to sit here just to watch the water levels rise and potentially wash someone's house away. Like, that's that's what we're not going to do right now, dad. So it was chaotic to say the least. But thankfully, you know, water levels have gone down today. Everything's fine in our town. Um, but it was just... <sighs> I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I'm too young to be taking care of my parents. I'm like, they're too young. It's not that I'm too young. My parents are too young for this to be happening already. And my mom said the other day, I'm already dreading the day that you move out. I'm just going to miss you so much. And I was like, mom, that's so sweet. But like, I'm worried for both of us about us getting too attached. Like we're close enough. We're too close. All my friends say it. You and your mom are too close. We don't need to be living together to get even closer. So y'all just be praying that this room gets done (laughs) so that I can have my own space to be away from them. And then hopefully they can start resenting me a little bit so it'll be easier to leave. So that's what I'm hoping for is that my parents will hate me (laughs) so that it's easier to leave. Okay. Manic behavior. Speaking of manic behavior, let's transition. That's not a good transition, but we are going to start talking now about the practical lessons that my counselor has taught me. So I did, uh, honestly, it was only like two people, but as soon as they said it, I got really excited because I did want to add in some of these lessons to last week's episode, but it just didn't happen. It just, whenever I started talking and got really passionate about other topics, I somehow completely skipped over this section. So when I had some people reach out and say that they would love to hear some of the things that my counselor has taught me over time... Um, I was super excited about it. And again, these are practical lessons. One of them is an exercise that she taught me. Um, because I am a visual learner at times where if it's my own emotions and my brain is so like bogged down with thoughts and ideas or things that I need to fix, it I just kind of shut down. You know, I, I get what I call Barbie hands. So just picture a Barbie's hands that are all stuck together. <laughs> like, I get Barbie hands when I'm too stressed out to where I just can't even do anything. Like, I just feel kind of stuck and, like, paralyzed by fear and anxiety and all of those types of things. So, I'm going to share some of the lessons that she's taught me and then the practical exercise. So, the first lesson that I have shared a lot on the podcast, and I'm going to say it again first because it is so simple but so powerful... Um, so I'm a fixer by nature. If you are also a fixer by nature, you've had a lot of people-pleasing tendencies in the past or currently, whatever your story or situation is, I'm, I'm very empathetic and so I, I attach to other people's emotions easily. In a positive light, I say that I'm an energy matcher, so I'm like a great friend for my friends in that sense that if they are having the best day of their life and they want someone to go like day drinking with them or they want someone to celebrate with them, I'm there. If they call me and they're having the worst day and they want someone to just sit and cry and not talk, like I'm showing up and that's what we're going to do. Um, but also in the worst way that I attach to other people's emotions and feelings and sometimes feel like I need to fix their problems, which is not true. So the the thing that she told me like one of the first sessions that I ever had with her is that I have to let the bad days or bad moments be bad and celebrate the crap out of the good ones and let those be good. Um, so I've reprised it a lot to say, let the shitty days be shitty or the crappy days be crappy. Let the good days be good. And that has honestly helped me so much. And again, it sounds so elementary. It sounds so basic 
But for someone like me, um, and other people don't really understand that, who don't struggle with that, who don't struggle with fixing things, I'm an Enneagram 3 to the core. I kind of had a 7 moment that, like, whenever I was this past year of, you know, quitting my job and being on the extreme end of stuff. But definitely, like, textbook Enneagram 3 definitely in the past have been. And so that basically means that I'm an achiever. If you don't know anything about the Enneagram, that's fine. I'm not one of those people that worships it, but I'm an achiever by nature and I feel like I have to fix everything. So learning that I can just let a situation be and I can acknowledge it, it actually helps me approach that situation differently. If I just say like, man, today's a hard day or today's a bad day. It's, it's kind of getting rid of that toxic positivity culture that like, oh, I have to turn this day around. Because sometimes, yes, I do think, you know, if it's our own bad mood, it's like, just don't bring other people down, try to get out of your head, that type of thing. But there are some days that are just unexplainably bad, or especially if I'm having a really bad, like, round with depression or anxiety that just is overwhelming or having a lot of symptoms that day it's kind of like, I don't have to fix this and I don't have to be different. I do have to acknowledge it so it doesn't overwhelm me. Um, and so that was one of the first lessons that she ever taught me when I was like, Monique, you are amazing. <laughs> like, you are a rock star. Um, and so, yeah, that's really good. Okay, the next thing that I learned from her practically is, well, this actually came from a revelation that I had made to her one time where I had talked about how, um, so I'll use social media as an example because for a large portion of this past year, you know, it started as just an outlet, a place that I loved to connect with my friends. Then it became the host of all of my creativity and, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, then it kind of became my job and then it became this thing that caused me a lot of pain and that I resented and I wanted nothing to do with. So at the time, I was talking to her a lot about that and about how I couldn't always wrap my mind around it, managing other people's expectations, feeling like I owed people something and that wasn't good for me and just all of that. So I had told her about how the hard thing for me with social media specifically, but you can interpret this into relationships, into family relations, into your job, whatever it is, right? Um, that it's so hard when people approach things so differently. Some people, you know, they're very passionate about something. It's very serious to them. And to the person next to them, they're so casual in their approach to it because they don't have the same passion. They don't have the same drive. They Their heart doesn't burn for that subject. And so there's so much offense that happens just because of people's differences. And she just started a conversation with me about worldview and about how we, it's not necessarily our job to teach other people our worldview, but if someone else is sharing about their worldview, it kind of is our job to listen in a way, or it should be, I shouldn't say job, but it should be the desire of our heart to listen to their perspective so that we can understand them more. And she just reminded me about the importance of worldview and how every single person is different. And like, we have to acknowledge that first before we ever take emotions or feelings into a situation. And it was just really about believing the best in people. Like, even if you know that someone has a very, very malicious intent, um, but, you know, even with social media, I don't think everyone that comments something negative or messages me something bad 
is like, you know, some people are like, oh, they just must be so miserable or so dark inside. I'm like, for some people, sure, they probably are projecting and lashing out and just saying mean things for the sake of, to say them. But other people probably are so casual about that. They dish out mean comments. They get mean comments all the time and they don't care. They're not affected by it because that's their view of social media. And I don't think they're horrible people with a lot of darkness going on. I just think that that is their casual interpretation of it. And so, really, I wanted to share that one because I think a lot of us can struggle with worldview differences and not understanding how there's not a one-shoe-fits-all approach across the board and remembering that, you know, we, we are all different and that means we interpret things differently, things cut us differently. So, it's kind of balancing the me issue versus someone else's issue, if that makes sense. I'm kind of rambling now, but I I hope that that helped someone just remembering worldview and perspective because that lesson from her was really timely in my life. And it's one of the things I wrote down when I was thinking about like the most helpful things that she's ever taught me. That was one of the first things that came to mind. So wanted to share that. All right. I'll go ahead and share the practical um, exercise that she gave me once um, because this was I don't know, it sounds very elementary and a little bit abstract, but to be honest, there are times where, again, as a fixer, there are so many situations that I know I need to handle or I need to deal with, and I just don't know where to start. And so, there was one exercise when I was really, really, really overwhelmed, and she had me basically just write down um, all of the situations in my life that were going on of and categorize them after that. So, I would write everything down. Then she had me categorize them into two sections of things I can control and things I can't control. And she kind of talked with me through them of like things I can control, things I can't control. So, then the things I can't control, no matter how much you want to fix them, she had me like take that half of the paper and not look at it basically. Um, Then for the things I can control, I would... It was kind of a, so it was an exercise where I would write the thing down and she told me just to think about it, pray about it, think about a next step basically on how to accomplish that task or whatever was bothering me. And as I did it, I would draw a circle around it. So basically what this paper ended up looking like is there were all of these different things that were bothering me or that were really causing me a lot of tension or something that hurt me, um, knowing that I could control it and I, I could take a next step and I just needed to do it. Um, but some of them I didn't know how. So as I would think about it, pray about it, think about a practical next step, I would just draw a circle around it. So basically when this exercise is done, when you've gone through all of them, how many there are, there are a couple that, you know, you wouldn't even get halfway around the word with the circle before you were like, okay, all I need to do is like, you know, X, Y, Z type of thing. Like that's a situation that's easy that I can handle. Then there were others that were pretty big situations that either they were fresh or they were just massive and like you, I couldn't wrap my mind around them yet or didn't know a next step on how to fix it, even though I could control it. And you see that there's like a really thick black line around it because of how much you're thinking about it and just drawing around it and you, you can't, you know, that type of thing. So then it was easy for me to see like, okay, so the ones that have this really thick or intense black line around it from all the times I circled it, like those are obviously bothering me the most or it's bothering me that I don't have a solution to them, but I still don't really have a practical next step. But for this one over here, it took me um, 0.3 seconds to realize, okay, all I need to do is 
mail that package back or you know whatever it was that was bothering me it's it's more intense stuff than that obviously but it was all of these things of just like a next step that I needed to do but for the ones that just had a light circle around it or just even a half circle it was like okay I could do all of those things within the hour of like you know calling these people back doing all this other stuff I could do those things within the hour and then I've knocked my list in half or I've like done three-fourths of the things that are bothering me off of the list of things that I can control so that's an exercise that I did and honestly I haven't done it since like practically but mentally that's the way that my mind thinks now is when there's so much so much stuff going on when it's like okay so I need to do this for the podcast I need to do this for me and Mitchell's podcast I need to do all this stuff um for for this work that I and this job that I'm doing I also need to like call this call this contractor and get all this stuff worked out and then there's also friendship stuff of like okay well this has really been bothering me because I heard that this girl was saying all this stuff about me and I've got to pack for this trip like so that's kind of the list that's a verbal thing about this past week what was all going on in my life so then I look and it's like okay so for the dreaming and planning for the podcast that's kind of more abstract stuff but the practical is I could go ahead and pack for this trip I could go ahead and call this guy this contractor to see his schedule and I could go ahead and do xyz so then after I get all those things accomplished that's four out of the six things off the list that are done and then I can go back to this so it's pretty basic in terms of just like (laughs) I mean it really is just like list making and prioritizing stuff but for me as a visual learner sometimes everything seems so intense or everything seems so heightened like it's that important and so when she took me through that exercise and at the time it wasn't like really practical objectives like that it was some big emotional decisions that I was having to make And so actually having the time to like pray about them and visually see like, oh my gosh, I didn't, I wasn't even going to write that thing down, but it's the thing that was bothering me the most because I circled it the most times. That was really, really helpful for me. And so that was an exercise she did. And so again, even though I practically haven't done it again, now with just even the day-to-day life, there's kind of a mental a mental thing that happens with me where I like categorize it now and I think about okay well how how many steps is this going to take to accomplish and okay so if I do these four things today then I'm done and I can you know focus on the creativity for those other two and that's that okay next (laughs) so some of so there were two things in my session this past week that were actually very very helpful for me um so I I was talking to my counselor and it opened up about how I am my own worst enemy and I know that Um, and that sometimes I get scared of my own brain if that makes sense because out of all of my insecurities and the things that I doubt or hate about myself, I really have never doubted or hated my logic or my drive or my intelligence um, because that was always kind of a mask or a security that I would hide under at times and so I actually see it as like there were times again this sounds weird but there were times that I actually acknowledged how strong our brains were um from understanding like the psychology side of things from my education and knowing about our brains and with the counseling perspective mixed in and all of that so there were times that I actually was kind of scared of my own brain if that makes sense Um, I know I sound crazy, but I think there are people that know what I'm talking about if you felt this way. And obviously, I realized that that was a problem because I started to almost kind of feel like 
oh, well, my brain's just going to do whatever, or like almost like it was a weapon against myself, like it was uncontrollable and I couldn't do anything about it. But the reality is we do train our brains on how to think sometimes or how to acknowledge emotions as indicators and not as truth or reality, um, as like indicators that something else is happening and to, to investigate that feeling more. And so when I was telling her about all of this and even last week on the podcast I had I had said a line of how I know that my brain is sick and not sick in like a gross way but sick in the practical sense about physically lacking serotonin and that leading obviously to a lot of depression and things of that nature there's just a lot going up up in there and that's okay and that's why I see a doctor for it um but that's there are also ways to kind of fix that and work on that and not always just live with the problems, right? So this past week, I was telling her about that and it had just come up so casually about, well, knowing that I'm my own worst enemy, of course, that would affect me. And she said the simplest thing to me, she didn't even acknowledge the thing that I had, the situation that I was talking to her about. She fixated on that and she was like, I feel like there's a lot going on with that statement that you just said of I'm my own worst enemy. And so she asked me to talk about it and I kind of explained just what I did just now to her. And she was like, okay, so you're telling me that you're your own worst enemy. Well, if that's true and you have this self-awareness to realize that about yourself, that you could always be your own demise or that you are always going to be the hardest on yourself, you're your own worst enemy in that sense, um, then you've already won. Because if you're looking at yourself in these two different areas of like, the physical form and then this mental cognitive kind of form about my brain being very strong and being my own worst enemy in that sense, then the then realizing that, that you are your own worst enemy because a lot of times the enemy is unknown to people. They don't know what they're fighting. They don't know their, their deepest struggle because they don't have that self-awareness to realize, oh, well, it's my insecurity or it's my pride or this, that, and the other. So she was like, the fact that you're acknowledging that and you're still kind of like just using that as an excuse or living in fear of that about you're always going to be the person that held you back or you're always going to be the person that didn't allow you to fully live your life or do whatever. She was like, then you've already won. And I had to sit there and I was almost angry when she told me that answer because I thought, okay, she's taking the easy way out to this, right? Like it can't be that simple. And then as I thought about it more and I was like, wow, no, it, it really is just that simple that if I'm saying I instead of saying I am my own worst enemy, I could say that, like, I could, I can tend to be at times, or I used to be my own worst enemy, that kind of thing, because that is the reality, is that, you know, that, that's not her taking the easy way out. It is saying that if I'm acknowledging that already, then I've won, because, like, the, again, our enemies and the things that bother us or the things that are working against us at times or the things that are causing us problems that we don't realize, that's why they're so powerful is because we haven't acknowledged it yet. So I had acknowledged it, but still was using it almost as like a crutch when she was like, that's just not even real because you've acknowledged it. So you need to move on. And I was like, you're right, Monique. Thank you for that two minute explanation about uh, something that's tormented me for the last 13 years. Cool love that for me. That's why I'm in therapy. Um, and something else she said at the end of my session last week was, you have to thank your past self for getting you here instead of resenting yourself and the mistakes you've made and the shame you feel about things. Um, and that's, that is the reality is that I have to let it go because I've let it torment me for too long. And 
so I think for everyone that is true like you have to acknowledge or thank your past self for getting you here because some people don't acknowledge that their past self and their actions their own actions got them into a bad situation right but it's like I realized that about myself when I was in a bad situation that it was me that got myself there but then when I was in a better situation and I was thriving and I had dealt with that situation it's like I was still caught in that same mental downward spiral of regret and shame because it's easy for me to latch on to that and so she she was like you're you're still caught in that same cycle of thinking which really you just have to let that go because it's over like there's no there's no other practical solution for that besides you just have to let it go because like you have to thank your past self for getting you to where you are today and instead of hating that person or hating the decisions that you made or you know how stuff played out you just have to thank yourself (laughs) for getting you where you are and I think that helps you in a lot of ways just come to terms with the past and with things that have happened so I think that's all that I have obviously I have a lot of more lessons but when I was making a list of like the four or five that felt the most profound to me um those are the first things that came to mind so again I know there are a lot of people that don't struggle with the same things I do, so maybe even if it just gave you insight into my life and my brain, that's great. If you are like me and that helped you, that's amazing. Like, you can always DM me and let me know. I had so many people DM me this past week to tell me about their counseling experience or the stuff that they've walked through, and I'm always really honored, again, when people share their stories with me, and I love reading them, so thanks so much for all those messages. It really did make me just feel so seen and loved and... It was really great. So, to wrap up the episode today, this is your warning. If you haven't watched Mayor of Easttown, uh, you gotta go because I don't want to spoil anything for you. I don't want you to be mad at me. I give you plenty of warning. This this ball's in your court now. So, the finale, guys. Uh, you know, I had so many theories. This was the best show that I've watched in a long time because it's really easy for me to guess TV shows, to be honest, and I genuinely had no idea who did it for, like, almost the whole series I would say and I was even a little bit shocked at the ending on how they chose to go about everything but it was like I would tell my friends about it and I'm like the whole town's guilty like I can't explain it how they did it in such a riveting way but the whole town's guilty right now um okay so going back before we even talk about the finale I was really confused with the decision to like okay I get it that they had two separate storylines and that was kind of the question was are the missing girls also tied into the the girl that was murdered um I thought that they would be all together that it would be kind of the same thing so in episode like five or whatever it was the one where Zabel was shot and killed which was crazy um I really really thought like, I was surprised because I was like, okay, well, obviously they're not the same. Like, it's not the same case. And I feel like they did a horrible job with that storyline of just letting it die out and pretending it didn't happen. But for the ending, uh, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be the first one to say it. This is a brave take on my end. They didn't talk about incest enough. It was like, or no, I didn't want more incest. That sounded wrong. I didn't want more incest. I was bothered by how casual they were about it because I get that it was like a shock whenever like Mare started realizing everything and putting the pieces together, but they really didn't act like anything was wrong. I feel like they were acting like it was wrong because she was a young girl. 
You know, like that's the same way that they would treat someone who had an affair that was married with a minor. It, there wasn't enough shock and, and weirdness on from my perspective that they didn't just sell it. I don't know. They didn't sell it to me that it was weird about the incest. And I was bothered by that. I was like, we we should be more bothered by incest. We should be more bothered by that played out on TV. Um, yeah, the whole thing, I'm excited to go back and watch it because my mom didn't watch it and we, like, I know that she would love the show, so she's going to go back and watch it all. And of course, knowing what I know now, I'm excited to go back and watch everything, to watch the oddness play out, to watch their little mannerism. So, in my opinion, I did love the ending when I watched it. Here's the thing, thinking back on it now and after chatting with one of my friends, like, of course, we were all shocked by who did it because they do, they announced the character that did it when they were only in two scenes. So, of course, you're shocked because you're not thinking about them. Um, I would have loved even more if it was someone that was on screen a lot, that it was just, like, shocking. Uh, so that was a little strange, but I knew as soon as the, the end of the second to last episode, I had a feeling it was the other brother. Um, and so then with the start of the finale, when they showed him, you know, I get all the white bearded men mixed up. I don't know their names. I can't remember. But the brother that, that had the son that did it, you know, that family, the one that had the affair, I, I was, I knew that he did it as soon as the episode started, obviously, but even the end of last episode, I was pretty confident it was him because of their reaction. But as soon as they arrested him and he confessed or whatever really early in the episode, I mean, it's so easy for everyone that's watched this season to be like, okay, he didn't do it. So I was kind of disappointed in that. Then the only question for me was, okay, was it the son or the wife? I would have loved to see it be the wife that found out about it and just murdered the girl or something. Uh, that sounds really dark, but I would have loved that twist. And so I kept kind of thinking like, well, I, I feel like they wouldn't do that because of her horrible response to everything and how like just troubled and tormented she's been. Um, but the son, I was shocked at. But can I just say the acting out of those two women in this last episode freaking rocked. Uh, Kate Winslet, whenever she pieces it together that it was the son that killed her, her face, if you, if you missed that scene or don't know what I'm talking about right away, you have to go back and watch that scene where she's in that guy's house and she figures it out and she runs into the security cameras. And of course they had to tie that back in, which I loved, you know, tie it all back in. But when she's watching the security cameras and sees the boy, the, her face and reaction literally gave me chills and almost made me cry. And that's how you know it was a brilliant performance because she truly transported herself in this series to me. Um, so there's a lot of actors that I don't like watching because I feel like they just play the same exact character or play the same exact role every time. And I, I hope she wins all the award for this. And what I loved at the end of the day, call me cheesy, whatever, I love obviously the tie-ins of counseling that were throughout this. Um, I love the real life talk about trouble and things of that nature that happen within a home and how it affects everyone in the family system. Um, but I love that that wasn't the main storyline as well because it does show the reality of life that somehow when your world stops, the world keeps moving and how do you deal with that? I also loved that at the end of the day, it was a show about two best friends 
uh, two moms that had troubled sons and dealing with that reality of, I can't even imagine that heartbreak as a parent of, you know, watching your child go some, go through something like that or dealing with the loss of a child. And so I think they covered a lot of sensitive topics really well by just trying not to sugarcoat the reality of something like that. I might be thinking too deep into it, but I loved it. I also loved that there was a scene at the end because I have not seen this in a very, very long time in a TV show. Uh, just to get all weird for a second, it never hurts. And I loved to see a scene at the end where she had a positive revelation because of a church experience. Because there are so many TV shows now that do show like corruption within churches or it, I swear to you when I was watching the show and all the stuff started happening with the deacon and the church people, obviously those stuff happen in churches. People have that experience from churches, but there have just been so many shows recently that did something like that where it was like a member or like a pastor or someone on staff at a church and I was just over it. <laughs> like I've lived too many chaotic church experiences in the last few years that if that was the reality, it felt like it was lazy writing to me. And so at first when that storyline was happening, like when they found Aaron's bike in his, or when we saw him dumping the bike and all that kind of stuff, I was literally like, if this is another show about someone that works in ministry doing something shady, I'm not going to watch it. And I'm glad I kept watching it because whatever. But I loved that at the end, she had a little revelation in church, went to go see her friend anyways. That's what friendship is. Um, not letting the people that you love slip out of your fingers and fighting for them when they won't fight for you or won't fight for themselves. And that ending scene crushed me. I just thought it was brilliant. The thing that I, and I love that it was, you know, obviously someone besides the obvious, but at the same time, like, you know, my friend Amanda, I was texting her and she had said, like, I, I just don't like when TV shows, the twist is that someone did it or something happened with someone that they never really showed on screen. So, like, of course you don't think it's them. Um, so yeah, you could argue that maybe it was just from her perspective that she's not really thinking about that young child because it's not in her everyday life, but I, I don't know. I, I was, I was like in love with it until she brought that point up and then I was like, oh yeah, that's true. Like, that is very true that of course we wouldn't think it was that person because he wasn't in that many scenes, but I am excited to go back and watch with my mom to watch that first episode and specifically watch the episode where you know, he's having the conversation with his son in private where she assumes it's an affair and all of that stuff and see how that downfall happened. And also just watch the brothers now interact with obviously Aaron's father, their other brother, um, to see all of that interaction happened knowing that the other two brothers knew the whole time what happened. So I'm just excited to go back and watch those acting performances now that we have seen the end. Anyways, but I loved the show. I thought it was fantastic. Let me know your thoughts on Mare of Easttown. Um, if you loved the ending, I had some people that said they hated it. They, they hated that it was the kid. And again, like my friend Amanda had said that, you know, they, he was in two scenes or something like, of course, we're not going to think it's him. Uh, but I, I really loved the show. It was just, I get excited when a show surprises me or just entices me that much because that hasn't happened in a long time. And so I just thought it was brilliant. I really enjoyed it. It was, and it was good to feel alive again by waiting for TV. I had kind of started talking to my friends a little bit about like binging culture with 
like film and TV now and how you get so excited for a season or series to come out but then when you watch it all in a day or two like you talk about it and you're excited but after a week you're not talking about it anymore and so I loved just this excitement of being back to the real world of like waiting for a weekly episode because you talk about it all week and you get so excited and you make plans to watch the show and I don't know. I just loved it. I thought it was really great. The whole experience around it was amazing to chat with my friends and chat with a lot of people on Instagram every week about our theories. We had some crazy theories, I will say. I don't know what the craziest one was, but some people were messaging me some like banana lands theories. And I was like, this is, that's never going to happen, but I'm just so happy for you. I did think for a while, now this was my bad. I thought for a while it was Mare's mom because she was still up that night when Mare came home. And I, so the whole time I was like, I would just love a twist at the end where (laughs) it was her mom. Um, also the weird boyfriend that we all thought was creepy, but nothing ever happened. I'm kind of like, I know this was a limited series, but if they do a season two, I'm going to need him to murder someone or be someone bad because I, that was just a weird move to me to not have him add any ounce of productivity to the show at all besides maybe showing a humanistic side to her and her robotic ways. Uh, so yeah, that was, I, even at the end, I kept waiting to see like, you know, they open the trunk to put his bags in as he's moving and a body rolls out. And, of course, that never happened because <laughs> I always expect the worst. But loved the show. Thought it was great. Uh, I think that's all I have. Message me your thoughts on that. Let me know um, if you've had any wonderful revelations from your counselor. I had so many people messaging me some awesome stuff this week. Seems like we all just need to vent and get things off our chest, and I love that. So I love you guys so much. Thanks for listening. As always, you can find me on social media at mollylee31. The podcast is on Instagram only at Podcast. I love you guys so much, and I hope you have a brilliant and great week. See you later.